Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the unfiltered mental health podcast dedicated to the things nobody wants to talk about in real life. My name's Christina, and I'm your host. Um, I know that this episode is late in coming, um, and it's because I have had a crazy last few weeks moving. I moved across town into... Um, it's been really exciting, but also really stressful, as you can imagine. Uh, without going too much into it, I want to give three special shout-outs this week. The first one is to my friend Ellie, who is my adopted little sister. Um, I actually met her in the hospital when I was there this past May for mental health reasons. Uh, we became really close there, and we kept in touch, and... Um, when she found out I was going to be moving this weekend, she just messaged me and was like, hey, who's helping you out? Can I help? And I was like, um, yes, sure. <laughs> so she took a ferry over from where she lives and um, helped me move in the rain. And it was honestly the sweetest thing that anyone's done for me in a while. Because as anyone who's moved knows, that shit is pure hell. Yeah, that was fun, even though she accidentally ended up taking my phone with her on a ferry back home, and um, I was without a phone for three days. You know, that kind of stuff happens. It's fine. Um, my second shout-out goes out to my friend Max. Uh, Max, I've actually known for a few years. I met them in Austin when we worked at a coffee shop together, and um, we both ended up in Washington. So um, Max is one of those people that I don't see very often, but when I do, it's just a really great time, and we have great conversations, and they just make me feel really good about myself. Like, when I was going through my job search and feeling really discouraged, they were like, all right, you need to come over to my house and bring your laptop, and we're both gonna work on our individual stuff, and you're gonna apply to jobs. And that's the day that I found the job that I currently have. Anyway, I met them for coffee the other night, and they ended up coming back here, helping me bring some stuff over from my old place, and spending like an hour helping me like reorganize and decorate some various odds and ends. And I, I just love organizing, and it can really get me out of my funk. And so the fact that there was someone who loved it as much as I did and was just here helping me cheered me up, because uh, I was having... I, I've been going through a pretty bad time mentally the last few weeks. Um, maybe it's moving, maybe it's the fact that it gets dark at like four now, but I haven't been feeling so hot. So Max was the very first guest that I'd had in my apartment since, you know, moving in properly, and um, it was really nice. Um, my third and final shout-out goes to my friend Kai, who I also know from working at a coffee shop with, but um, Kai and I met in Virginia and he's my work baby. I trained him, and we've had so many fun times together, and incidentally, he moved out to Washington around the same time I did, so he visited me this weekend, also kind of last minute, and it was just so good to see an old friend, you know, a familiar face, but also it made me realize that I have no right to sit on my ass and complain about there being nothing to do, because the thing about having a guest over is that it forces you to kind of look around at stuff you can do. And, I mean, honestly, we didn't even do anything special. We just walked around all weekend and, you know, popped into some random coffee places that I've never been to before. We went to the library and we got books and we just sat and read. Like, I worked on this podcast for a little while. We watched some movies. Like, it was just a really nice chill weekend and it made me realize like what's stopping me from doing this stuff on my own like I complain about being bored I complain about being lonely but I can just like I my new neighborhood is in such a happening area like I can just go out and walk around and what's stopping me nothing so that was really good it gave me a little bit of perspective speaking of perspective that's one of the themes of this week's episode. Uh, my guest, Beth, is just such a lovely person uh, who's been through so much and is resilient enough to talk about it, and I have so much respect and love for her. If you are triggered by conversations about suicide, you might want to be careful with this one because we talk about that a lot. But yeah, it's a great episode. I'm going to let you guys get straight into it. Again, I apologize for the lateness of this episode. 
Um, there might be a little bit of an adjustment period ahead as I settle into my new place and I get my own mental health settled because, like I said, I haven't been doing too hot lately and it's unfair of me to have this podcast and talk about all the ways you can better your life when I'm not really doing it myself. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, this is all about being honest and upfront and showing up even if you don't feel like it. And so I'm going to try to follow my advice and just be honest with you guys. Uh, with that said, here is the episode. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Uh, great Thanksgiving if you celebrate that. This time of year can be complicated with family and whatnot, and um, I'll get into that probably in my next episode. But wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, I hope you find ways to take care of yourself and have a great week. All right, here is Beth. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's it's good. Because I've listened to the podcast so much, it feels like I'm talking to like a famous person or a radio host or something. Oh god, that's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I just feel like I'm more nervous than I should. If it makes you feel better, I get nervous every time I do this and I still hate the sound of my voice. <laughs> so how are you how are you doing? Um, I'm okay now. <laughs> it's been an interesting day. What what time is it over there? It's 5pm. Oh, yeah. See, my day is just beginning. Yeah, when you we were looking at the times, you were saying 10am. I was thinking, oh, no, that's going to be like, what, 1, 2 in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's evening. Yeah, I hate it. It makes this really complicated. So I... I've been friends with you on Peach for a while, but I don't really know a ton about you. No. Yeah. Um, so your name is Bethany, and um, you live in Great Britain. Do you go by Beth or Bethany? Yes. Beth? I, I tend to go by Beth, but that's usually just because people can't pronounce or spell Bethany. What? Which is fun. Ooh, I no. feel like that's one of the easier names, though. Like Bethany, isn't that hard? Yeah, no, uh, people pronounce it like Bethany. What? Yeah, I don't like being called that. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 23. 23, okay. For some reason, I thought you were older. I think I feel very old. You seem older. You probably get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people think I'm older than my sister, who is 30. Do you just have the yeah, one sister? Right. Uh, I do now, yeah. Okay. Um, do you want to kind of give a little bit of backstory? So my mental health problems and my physical health problems appeared at the same time. So I was in year five in primary school, which is when you're eight and nine. And I started having a lot of problems with digesting food and exhaustion. But my my school didn't believe me, which made me like, quite anxious and I used to get very depressed why didn't they believe Um, because I was they thought I was trying to get out of lessons because I would I would have to be sent home every day after lunch and it took another you know 10 years for them to find out I actually have food allergies oh no (laughs) but they they thought I just didn't want to go to afternoon classes so that that was that was fun so what brought on these food allergies? Was it anything in particular? Um, it's when I stopped eating meat. Um, so I changed from having the regular school meals to the vegetarian ones, but they just replaced all of the meat with cheese, and I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, fun. But quite severely, it makes me really projectile vomit. Oh. So that's not a good and combination. So, you know, <laughs> no. And my parents got told that I should, you know, just start eating meat and I wouldn't be ill or that I had a weak stomach muscle. Every different doctor had a different answer and none of them thought up, maybe she's got a food allergy. Yeah, it seems like a pretty simple problem to fix. Just stop eating dairy. I know, but um, nobody suggested stopping eating dairy until I was about 14. Okay. So I'd had five years of throwing up pretty much every day involuntarily. And how did that affect your mental health? 
the throwing up affected, or at least the, the food allergy throwing up affected me less. It was more people not believing me. The um, head of my GP thought I was a hypochondriac. And that led to me going, well, if I am a hypochondriac, it, it spirals into, oh, I'm causing all these problems and I'm a terrible child and everyone would be happier without me. So my depression started when I was about nine and hasn't left. I had my first suicide attempt when I was 10 or 11. I took um, an overdose of painkillers, but um, I just ended up in hospital from throwing up a lot. And my parents thought it was just another episode of vomiting. Well, yeah, because like that is pretty really taxing on you constantly throwing up. And then to add on to that, people not believing you when you talk about why it's happening. And especially with how young I was, I didn't really understand a lot of it. They would ask me questions that I didn't understand. And they'd say, oh, you know, see, it's it's not real. That's just like constant gaslighting. They just needed to remember they were dealing with a nine-year-old. So what was growing up like for you? I mean, I mean it was all lovely before then. <laughs> What's your family um, like? So I grew up with a brother and a sister who were both older than me. I'm, you know, typical spoilt baby. My parents are very devout Christians. A really nice upbringing from my parents' point of view. Was it not a nice upbringing, objectively? Well, they they did the absolute best for us, but they didn't notice certain problems. And so... It got to a point where things got very bad before they realised anything was wrong. And my parents really believe in prayer. So when anything went wrong, they'd be like, oh, we'll just, you know, sit down and we'll all pray together. So it's, it's going to be fine now. I was like, no. I can relate to that, unfortunately. My brother had, had bipolar disorder with severe schizophrenic tendencies. Once he got to... 14 they took him to counseling but I feel like that was that was too late they needed to have gone earlier when they realized he was having issues his school described him as behaviorally challenging okay and it was the sort of idea of like oh you know he just needs to let off some steam and he'll be fine yeah boys will be boys and all that (laughs) yeah but it it wasn't fine and I, I think that if they'd had counseling earlier he might have been able to manage condition better well i'm only familiar with the healthcare system in the u.s and even then like I'm, I'm barely familiar with that because i grew up homeschooled so i'm not really sure what the standard procedure is in public schools here but what what's it like over there for me personally it was pathetic okay um can you go in, into that a little more i mean you were talking um, about, you were so, talking about your brother so they they didn't do much for him they diagnosed him with like one thing after another and they went oh it's this no wait it's not it's this and they never really worked it out at all really the Mm. I feel like the NHS is is a wonderful thing but you need to see the right specialist to get the right help and the problem is working out what is wrong to then get referred to the right specialist he never got the right specialist we never got like a formal diagnosis what did that do to your family the way that my brother's mental illness is mostly visible was he would get very angry he would break things so like he smashed a few walls and this isn't like punching it it's like going completely through break a few windows break a few doors televisions computers bookcases that made it quite difficult for me and I'm still quite scared of men and then you get people like the whole oh not all men it's like but I grew up in a household where I was absolutely terrified of the masculine figure of my life because my dad's very feminine very soft-spoken and gentle and so my brother was the only like typically male figure I had and he was terrifying yeah I was gonna ask what role your dad played in all this my dad is a children's nurse or was need to get used to past tense. He was a really good children's nurse because he was very caring and very silly. He used to play pranks on, <laughs> on 
on the ward, which got him told off quite a lot. But I always used to like love when he came home and told us about it. He was a sort of nurse where like if you smiled at them, you'd get two puddings. How long was he a nurse for? Um, So he became a nurse straight after uni and was a nurse until he died. So 45 years, Wow, I think. So he sounds like a great nurse. But then all this stuff with your brother was happening. And did he not really know how to deal with that or? Uh, No, he he always tried to be really kind. And my brother would just respond to the kindness with more anger. He felt like my dad being kind was was belittling. Like he was patronizing him or something? Yeah. Or is it actually just he responded to everything with kindness? That's just who he was. Yeah. So what the main thing you wanted to talk about? You said disabilities. I feel like there's not a lot of focus on the amount of disabled people with mental health issues. So how long have you been disabled? So I was a gymnast um, when I was in what I think you would call high school, but I was also doing a lot of restrictive eating as a. That was my my way of controlling my home life, was to just not eat. Um, But the combination of doing high-intensity training and gymnastics and restrictive eating was I had multiple fractures in my spine, and that led to me being... I like to refer to it as wheelchair-reliant, so I can walk, just not very far and not without pain. I had surgery... When I was 15, so I've had a third of my spine fused. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> Makes pick. <laughs> it was not. Because <laughs> um, we we do our major exams at 16, so I didn't attend school for the whole year before my it, most important exams. And they still expected you to do them? I, I still did them. Oh my god. I did 12 of them. How did that go? I got nine A's and three B's. Are um, you are you an overachiever? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much if I'm not best, then I'm the worst it, with everything. I can imagine that has a lot of benefits, but also a lot of drawbacks as well. I, I think it's due to my upbringing. I had to try and focus on something. And so I always just focused on school and on sports and you know, if I could go home thinking like, oh, I've got to go home and be in this environment where I'm scared and, you know, I don't feel I can cope. Mm-hmm. But at least I know that I was the best. Like if I'd had, you know, say like a a sports race or we'd had a quiz, I could be like, no, I know I was the best today. And that's that's all I'm going to focus on. Going back to your brother, what was your relationship then while was, this was happening? This is going to sound like a bit of a, like a weird turn, but he was actually my only friend. Well, no, that's why I asked, so, because I know these things can be complicated sometimes. Yeah, so he was he was my best friend for, like, my whole life. Um, I've never really been good at talking to people in any regard. I tend to overshare with people. It's when I'm nervous, I just talk. And that doesn't go well when you're a child. What's the age but difference? My, uh, my brother between... would protect me from other bullies. Uh, three years older. Okay. I'm sorry. The sound quality has been kind of spotty. Okay, sorry. So you said you were bullied at school for oversharing? I think it was more for just being an overachieving nerd. So your brother was your best friend because he would help you with against these bullies. But then you would yeah, go um... home and... <laughs> He would, and he was the bully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, what was that like? It was a really, I mean, it still is a weird feeling. So, my my sister was really happy when he died because for her, she ne- she never had the bond, and she was like, "Oh, it's great. Nobody's gonna torment me anymore." Whereas, I'd lost my best friend and my bully, and she she couldn't really cope with the both. So, wait, so I just, I'm so sorry. When did he die? Three years ago. Okay. Was this anything to do with his own struggles? Um, he overdosed on antipsychotics. Okay. So he, at that point, lived in a 
care facility for people whose mental health meant they couldn't be living on their own. But we uh, we couldn't work out, or at least the doctors couldn't work out, if it was intentional overdose. Um, because some of the staff that worked there said he would get confused and he he wouldn't remember if he'd taken his medication. But they couldn't tell if he was genuinely confused or if he was just lying because he's very charming. He's always been very charming. Well, yeah, these things aren't always black and white. Like, obviously, you loved him. He was your best friend. You know, he's yeah, he taught me person. how to play how to play video games and we used to play football in the garden and things like that, you know. So, sorry, as a kid, when his own um, issues were just starting to emerge, what was that like? Um, well, they were they were kind of always there. They were just less obvious. So he would still get really angry and lash out and break things. And he would, like, scream and he would hit me and stuff. But I worked out quite quickly that if I just sat there and accepted him hitting me, he would just get bored and stop. Mm. <laughs> it sounds so horrible. No, I mean, well, that's that's the thing growing up in families like that you kind of tend to normalize the trauma and you don't really realize that it is trauma until you process it later. You just, you have to live with it. You survive through it and it's just normal to you. Yeah. And the, you know, it was normal. Um, if I did or said something he wouldn't like, then he would hit me and I would just sit there until he stopped hitting me. And that's how life was. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. And he was still your friend. Yeah. He was your only friend, you were saying. Yeah. So, like, how were you at school? I didn't talk to people, ever. I had one teacher who thought I was mute for about eight months. I was just so scared of everyone, and I didn't want to talk to people, so I didn't talk to people. Which is interesting to me, because at the same time, you, you were very competitive and a high achiever. How did that fit into everything? I think it helped not having friends because <laughs> then I could, you know, people used to talk in class and if anyone had tried to talk to me, I might have probably just told them to piss off. Because <laughs> you were working on your other stuff. Yeah, like every day in class I would do my classwork and then I'd ask for the homework and I'd do the homework and then I'd just sit there and read until class was over. Yeah, kind of a justified means of avoiding people. Probably. Yeah. So by the time you were in, what do you call high school over there? Um, secondary school. Secondary. Okay. By the time you were in secondary, this is when you started having these fractures. and Yeah, I became more competitive with my gymnastics because we actually had a dedicated gymnasium in my secondary school. And through this whole time, you still weren't talking to anyone? I mean, sports can be pretty social, yeah, no, I did a, I did a whole, we call it a GCSE. I don't, I don't even know what the equivalent is. Um, high school diploma, I think okay. you guys call it. Um, but I did a double honours in sport and I didn't talk to any of my classmates in the whole two years. Now, did the bullying continue into secondary because of this? Yeah. So I went to an all girls school. I'd known that I liked girls from quite a young age. Okay. So that was that was great in an all girls school where they're super homophobic. <laughs> Did you tell anybody that you liked girls? I sort of dated one of the other students while I was there. You know, in the way that you date someone when you're, you know, fourteen, where you just hold hands and stare at each other over lunch. Well, how does that work if like dating someone when you don't you didn't really have friends, you said? Um, we met in the music room because that was a really good place to avoid people. And we went out for five days until the head teacher got told and they threatened to call our parents and she never talked to me again. So I'm taking it she was kind of introverted as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, nobody went to the music room unless they were either obsessed with music or hiding because they had um, little little sections that you could practice in. They were basically, you know, cupboards. They were they were great for hiding in little and safe avoiding cupboards. people. Sa <laughs> safe <laughs> cupboards. <laughs> uh, I used to go in the one that was always full of flutes. That was, nice. that was my cupboard. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Where were we even before that? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm so bad at this. Oh, yeah, we were talking about you were in secondary and um, you were in gymnastics. Yeah. 
so um, we worked out that something was wrong when I was 13 and I, I went to my aunt's for Christmas and I couldn't walk up the stairs. Had you had any symptoms before that? I mean, you said you were restricting. No. Yeah, I didn't realise you would get any health problems from that. I was always tired and a bit dizzy, but, you know, it was never that bad. I just used to I used to drink about eight cups of tea a day. I now get that I was just surviving on caffeine because I used to have, like, a sugar in every tea. Yeah. And that was just, that was it. Yeah, and sugar so and caffeine, just... meal of champions. <laughs> yeah, but I was not really eating much solid food, and so I was just really lacking in nutrients. I didn't realize anything was wrong until I couldn't get up the stairs. Um, that was my, my first symptom, that I might have been doing myself some harm. So did your family freak out? Um, they never actually found out about the restriction. Where did they think all these health problems were coming from? Um, they thought that the fractures were just that I must have, like, the doctor said, like, it could have been that I had a bad fall in gymnastics, but I never fell. I, like, I would sometimes make mistakes, but I would I would never fall. But we just, I just went with that when the doctor said that I just latched on, like, yes, I must have fallen over. And they were like, oh, this is just, like, a shame that this has happened. So I got the surgery, and they're like, yeah, that's it. It's all, it's all done now. Um, but I didn't get better after my surgery. I refused to eat in the hospital and they were like oh this is normally you know it's a stressful environment she's probably quite nauseous and stuff and my dad used to bring me in bottles like two liter bottles of Fanta nice. and say like oh if you're not gonna eat at least you'll have this oh, <laughs> and so I, left... <laughs> um, I used to have like a bit and then throw some of it down the drain <laughs> so how old were you then when you got the wheelchair I was 15 because I had my surgery at 14, but I I didn't leave the hospital for quite a few months. Um, so after the so yeah, surgery, it kept getting worse? I got better for a short time. And then um, I contracted swine flu, which led to the condition that I have. It's just been a whole fun bundle of, of health problems. I remember when the swine flu was happening, but I don't really remember what exactly it does to you. My mom got it from a colleague at work and then lovingly passed it on to me. But the the condition I have, myalgic encephalomyelitis, also known as post-viral fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome. What happens is you, you get a virus and obviously all your white blood cells there are going and fighting all the, all the bad things. But once the virus goes away and, you know, your white blood cells and your antibodies win, they don't shut off so my white blood cells are just attacking each other constantly but I didn't I didn't know any of this so for me I'd had the surgery and then oh no I got swine flu but it'll get better and then it never got better and I had the same process repeating itself that I had as a child where I was sick and nobody believed I was sick and so we were going to the doctor saying like clearly something went wrong with the surgery you know she's not she can't walk still. And they're saying, no, no, surgery was fine. You know, she should be running about and, you know, why isn't she competing now? Again with um, the gaslighting. Yeah. And I got this from teachers and I got this from my doctors, my surgeon, my specialist. It just everybody was like, no, you should be fine. Man, you just didn't have anyone on your side. Um, not really. <laughs> like my parents believed me, but they were trying to deal with my brother. And that was yeah. sort of the main priority is like, make sure the walls were still intact. Exactly. So I'm guessing you were tired all the time. Yeah, so I'm I'm really tired. I can stand up for about one minute, maybe two, and then I'll just pass out. My limbs dislocate quite a lot, but it's not a full dislocation. It's a partial, which is called a subluxation, but nobody's heard of that. What does that even um, look like? Um. I don't know. I, I, just, I sent somebody a picture once when my knee had partially dislocated and went, there, that's, that's what it's like. And they just went, yeah, that just looks wrong. Like, <laughs> You're like, Thanks. no shit, this is my reality. <laughs> but it, it's really painful. You just want to scream. But, you know, it's no point screaming when it happens every day. What kind of treatment is there for it? Oh, this is the fun part. There is no treatment. No treatment, no medication, no cure nothing jesus and if you look it up on the internet 
or at least in if you do in Britain, the official treatments are cognitive behavioural therapy for mental health conditions, and this is an autoimmune disease. They also have um, graded exercise, which has been proven in medical studies to kill people of my condition. Wait, what is that graded exercise? Um, so you just like say, you know, day one, you'll walk for five minutes. Day two, you'll walk for 10 minutes. You know, day three, you'll walk for 15. But you can't walk. Yeah. So they will force us to do things that a body can't do. Um, so what happens is if I walk for five minutes, I won't be able to stand up at the end and I won't be able to sit up or hold my head up for a few days because my body is just so exhausted. But what they do is they force people to do exercise when they're still tired and then your body just shuts down and you die. Why is there so much misinformation surrounding this disease? Well, until about five, ten years ago, it was called bored housewife syndrome. Really makes you feel good about yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, And they just thought it was an entirely mental problem where you were just bored and so you're like, oh, no, I'm so tired. I'm too weak. I can't do anything. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But with the wonders of MRIs and blood tests, they can now say, no, there's, there's actually quite a lot going on. I mean, at the same time, there's still not a lot that is being done about it. No, there isn't. So I still get treated under mental health care because it's still officially on the NHS a mental health condition. Um, it's not. It's an autoimmune disease. There's no two ways about it. That's what it is. And there is no, there, oh, there aren't any causes that are related to mental health. The only way it affects your mental health is negatively, but that it doesn't make it a mental health condition. Right. I was going to say, like, obviously, having this disease and being treated like you are, that's obviously going to have a huge effect on your mental health in the way you don't want. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's just like a cycle. Oh, People so. not believing you and giving you what they think is treatment but actually makes you worse and then not believing you when they, you're telling them it's making you worse. Yeah, so going back to secondary school when you first got... Oh, when did you get diagnosed with this officially? Um, I got diagnosed at 17, which is when I was in college. Okay. What were you going through mentally at the time? Um, So I was still in my restrictive phase. And because I was being constantly told there was nothing wrong with me, I just put everything down to restriction. But I needed the restriction to help me cope. Do you feel like it made Um, you feel validated, like you were really sick? No, because nobody believed I was sick. I would collapse and I'd just think, oh, well, you know, maybe I should have had breakfast or something. But they didn't think that maybe the restriction in in itself was a sort of sickness? No, because nobody nobody has ever been told about this, apart from online. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so my family don't know. The only time people found out was I went on a a group holiday with friends, and on about the second or third day, they kind of noticed, like, Beth's kind of living on margaritas i mean there's worse things to live on no i had a lovely holiday (laughs) it was just basically because i was told that i didn't have anything wrong with me i just blamed the restriction and it kind of slid less into restriction and more into bulimia which is where i've delightfully ended up now and have you sought any treatment for that over the years uh no i've found it difficult enough for anyone to treat me for anything I have a deep mistrust of doctors and everyone in the medical profession yeah I don't blame you at all no the the only therapy I've had I went there with the whole intention like right I'm gonna get this sorted I want to just live a normal life and you know be able to order food without wanting to cry did this have anything to do with your social anxiety as well yeah, I can't I can't really talk to strangers. I still find that very difficult. Because um, it happens a lot where people mess up my order because like, I find it so difficult to talk to people that I'm kind of just mumbling and blurting it out. So they can't really hear me. And then I get the wrong thing, which really upsets me. 
Yeah. But I can't say, oh, this is not what I wanted because it's it's taken me so much like mental strength to even order anything. Um, and then I just like, oh, okay, I guess I just will go home and order a pizza and cry. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you have social anxiety, like the simple task of ordering at a restaurant can be debilitating. And it's really something that has to be practiced. No, like my family's way of doing it was saying, if you don't order, then you won't get to eat anything. And, you and then like, I just sit there. Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. So your family didn't like... They didn't realize any of this was a cause for alarm? They didn't realize that I was gay until, like, last year, so no. They're just very much like, oh, it's all fine. So your dad never knew while he was alive? I told him that after I'd broken up with my girlfriend, I was like, oh, by the way, you know Zoe that used to turn up at the house all the time? I was like, yeah, she was my girlfriend. He was like, okay. Well, that's, I mean, so he took it well then? Yeah, um, when I talked to my parents, their reaction was like, oh, yes, we knew. We thought, this is a surprise. Oh, should we pretend to be surprised? Like, <laughs> okay. They, they just never said anything. I, I kind of wish that they had said something. I know that a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, we shouldn't have to come out. But because of how religious my parents were, not knowing that they were basically just didn't give a shit. Well, yeah. It would have been so nice to know years ago, so I wouldn't have had all the anxiety and, like, having to be like, oh, yes, this is my friend, and then have to have the conversation with my girlfriend being like, no, I do, I do really like you, I just can't tell my parents because I'm scared they're going to kick me out. Were they religious the whole time, or have they mellowed out over the years? No, they're still very religious. Um, my sister went for a three-year gap before uni to go and other countries and tell people about Jesus. And my parents paid for all of this. And they were like, yes, this is a very good and worthy thing. And they were trying to encourage me to do this. Like, yes, Beth, you should go and tell the poor people about Jesus. Because oh, that's what they need. My parents, they do genuinely believe like that this will make people's lives better if they hear about Jesus. It's like, you know what, you know what we could do? We could pay them proper wages and not steal all their stuff yeah i have i have a lot of thoughts about this that i'll keep (laughs) silent for now (laughs) but yeah i mean i'm glad that they took your coming out well at least and that you know you got to tell your dad before he passed yeah that was good so your brother when did he leave the house so my dad kicked him out when he was 20? 20. So that made you like 16? I was about 17. Okay, so this is when everything was going on with you, with the the surgeries and everything? Yeah, I'd had had the surgery at at 14, 15, Um, but this was when my post-viral fatigue was quite severe, and it it got to the point where my my parents felt that they couldn't leave me in the house on my own, because they didn't know what he would do. And was he on any treatment at the time? No, he refused um, to see anybody. My parents would drop him off at counselling and sit there for five minutes until the appointment should have started. And then as soon as he saw the car drive away, he would just leave. So they kicked him out when he was 19 after all this had been Um, going on for a while? Yeah. Something happened and my dad just went, you know, that's it. I, you know, can't cope with you living with us anymore. And my mum still thinks that was the wrong decision. It was really nice um, for me and my sister that we yeah. felt we could relax a lot more. Well, yeah, you were safe. <laughs> no, we weren't. He oh. used to just turn up all the time. We, we used to just let him in and, you know, have a chat and stuff. But one time, it was the day Fallout 4 was released, and he wanted to come and play on his PC, which he hadn't taken when he got kicked out. And my dad said, you know, no, I'm going to work in, you know, 15 minutes. I'm not comfortable with leaving you in the house with the girls. You know, if you come back this evening, then you can play it, but you can't play it now. And my brother assaulted him and we had to call the police. And my dad lost quite a few teeth and it was just all, all really horrible. And we got a restraining order after that. And he used to still just turn up and bang on the door and scream was that the first uh, time that the police had been called? Uh, no, he got they got called a lot 
like during my childhood <laughs> so he used to strangle me a lot and he used to punch my dad a lot and it's just whenever that my mom felt that was out of control that she would call the police because um, he'd stop once the police turned up right and it's all normalized to you yeah, it really, it really just feels so weird saying this. Like, well, no. yeah, so like, my mom would just call the police when he'd strangled me for like too long, and when my dad couldn't pull him off. It's just how it was. Yeah, it makes you think about all the families out there that might be going through similar things, but everyone hides it up so well. Before he got kicked out, I had a lock on my door because he used to just come in at like whenever, like quite often it was like four in the morning, and he'd be high and. He'd be like, Beth, I want to do this thing and you have to do it with me. And it's kind of, okay, well, yeah, I've got to because you want me to do it. Mm-hmm. But it made me so much worse in my condition because I need about 14 hours of sleep a day. And so my brother waking me up at like 4 a.m. every day, you know, because he wanted me to sit there and, you know, play Fallout with him. It just, my body couldn't cope. I went from moderate to very severe within like a year of being diagnosed because I, I just couldn't cope with my condition in the home environment I had. So did you maintain contact with him? I didn't see him after that event with my dad. Like that was the last time I ever saw him. How did you feel when you learned about his death? Um, I, I felt like everything he'd said was right, that, you know, that it was my fault and I had abandoned him. And if I just said to dad, you know, let him come back in that he would have maybe he would have calmed down or maybe we would have learned how to how to be better so we wouldn't make him angry and it's just Mm -hmm. I felt like it was entirely my fault when I'm doing better I can think like no logically it wasn't my fault um so what happened is the medication he was taking for his delusions um, they had like a one in 10,000 chance of giving you heart arrhythmia. What is that? It's so, you know, like your heart's meant to be a constant beat. And if you have arrhythmia, then it's not it's not constant and it's not regular. That's the word I want. You know, so it's meant to be like one, two, one, right. two. Whereas his was like one, two, one. You know, it was yeah, just it's like irregular. all over the Yeah, that's the word. They said because he took a lot of it, his heart just couldn't cope. And how old was he? 22. Oh, wow. That's so young. So um, so my last birthday, I found very difficult with the concept that, you know, I'm now older than my brother, which just feels so, it feels so wrong, but also makes me feel like really guilty that I'm alive and I can't say I'm particularly enjoying it. Like I'm expected to, to live into like my late 40s okay. and he didn't even make it into his mid 20s. That just feels wrong. It feels unfair, but you're surviving. It's not something that you particularly asked for, but you make the best of it, you know? Yeah. Your sister, like, where is she in all this? So my sister moved out at 17 to go and spread the word of Jesus. <laughs> um, but she she moved back in at 21 for a couple of months and then said she couldn't deal with it and moved back out and she she didn't move back in again at all. Do you maintain contact with her? Yeah, she's tried a lot more to be friends with me since my brother died because she, she never did when we were children. Mm-hmm. She's six years older than me and she always thought I was really irritating, <laughs> which super helped my social anxiety. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so she never wanted to, to talk to me or be around me. Like, if I went into her room, she would just scream at me to go away. But since since my brother died, she's been, like, making a lot of effort. And now if I go more than, a, I don't know, like, 10 hours without texting her, just get floods of messages like, I miss you, I love you. Oh, Which which is, is nice, but it's also it's it's like, okay, quite we're... hard for me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> It's crazy because, I don't know, for me, I have six siblings, and um, obviously I'm closer to some of them than others, but I was talking to my brother the other day about how hard it is to find people that have lived your exact experiences with you. Like, we kind of take it for granted. Like, for instance, your sister, she, you know, who else do you have that has been through those things that with your brother, you yeah, know? Yeah, I felt like 
we, we, we have the same experiences, but we did, we process them very differently. And that can be valuable too. the different perspectives. Have you ever talked to her about that? Like her perspective through all this? I tried, I tried talking to her about my brother, but she was just so happy that he was dead. Oh man. She was like, it's over. It's finished. I never have to deal with that again. Whereas I was like, he was my brother. Like, exactly. He was my he friend was... from my whole childhood. Her brother and she too. she was like, I was your friend. And it's like, no, no. you're like, no. She was never my friend. She never, she never talked to me. She never played with me. She just used to just yell. So it's like the choice of, like, if your two options are somebody who will yell at you but not do anything else or somebody who will play with you and spend time with you but then might, you know, try and suffocate you yeah. i'm gonna be honest i still i still prefer that option because at least oh, yeah. like i get some some positive interaction in there is that something you've always struggled to find yeah um my my mom has asperger's okay. and really struggles with emotions like expressing most... emotions or expressing it too much she she struggles to express any emotions okay. um she struggles to understand emotions even more um so she's she's found my dad's death really difficult because she can't logically process what's happening. She'll you know just say like I don't feel like doing anything, but I don't understand why there are things to do. I should do them. And she's clearly grieving, but yeah. that's not an emotion that she understands. She just can't cope with it because she doesn't. There isn't a a nice box that she can put it in and file it away so she she doesn't know what to do with it I can't really talk to her about it I mean and you're probably dealing with your own grief still yeah what has that process been like for you losing my brother was a big shock whereas my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer so we knew it would happen at some point but we didn't we didn't expect it to happen then yeah um he was you know reacting really well to the treatment um because he was he was just always so positive and and so happy he would head off to chemo and just be like yeah this is great it's like you're gonna be stabbed with needles and sit in a chair he's like yeah but i'm alive and that's fabulous oh i think i i really miss that um like my dad's theory person who's ever complimented me that I wasn't dating and I, I found that particularly hard to lose it was he was the only person who would be like yeah you, you you've done good I felt like that that put a lot of pressure on the person I was dating at the time we, we were watching a comedy show and the person was saying like oh yeah I get my husband to just give me menial tasks and then say well done afterwards and he went oh that's like what you want and I was like yes please <laughs> actually give me this I just, I just need somebody in my life to say, like, I can see that you're making an effort and you're trying, which I, I don't have anymore. You know, I would, you know, go out and buy a dress and my dad would say, oh, you look so beautiful. You know, come on, twirl around the kitchen with me. And my mum would just go, I don't think that colour suits you. And then leave. It's, it's not, she's not trying to be cruel. She just, she doesn't understand that statements have have a lot of impact so um on one of my french exams i got an a instead of an a star and my dad was like great you got an a that's still good and my mom went well, why didn't you get an a star you always get a stars and it's losing that that positivity in my life yeah it sounds like they balance each other out a lot and when you lost your dad it's just it, it's no positivity now. left <laughs> my dad would also be like really spontaneous he'd be like yeah let's just go to the zoo and i was like why would we go to the zoo is there something happening was this on the agenda he'd be like no i just think it'd be fun and you know that's also another thing that i'll say to mom oh should we you know go to the park yeah and it's like, why, why would we go to the park like for fun she understands like going to the park to walk around for exercise that to her is a valid reason to go to the park since your dad died have you found yourself trying to embody some of his positivity in yourself I, i've been trying to do it um do you know um poison fairy yeah 
Annie. Yeah, so I like her, yeah, her like daily affirmations of like I am good and I have value. Like they're things that I used to get from my dad and I'm now trying to do a similar thing, like look at myself in the morning and be like, I have value just for existing, you yes. know, and that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um so my dad's he had like a, a plan for his life when he was sixteen and he was like, I wanna get married. I want to have kids, I want to have a degree, and I want to do a job where I can help people. And he always used to be like, you know, I'm the luckiest guy ever. I've got all of these things. Um, and he used to be like, you know, thank you for helping me achieve my dreams by existing. Aww. And that always made me happy. Yeah. Um, but my favourite thing is my mum found out she was expecting me. On my dad's birthday, he got his, you know, present that was already bought. But he got another package, and my dad's like, oh, like two presents, you know, this is exciting. Um, and it was the positive pregnancy test. And, like, my mum said, like, it's the happiest she's ever seen him. Um, but whenever I was down, he used to, like, give me a big bear hug and say that I was the best birthday present. That was, that was always nice. So my dad always wore two pieces of jewellery. He's got his... Um, cross that's got a little um a symbol of um saint christopher who's the patron saint of travelers okay um so i i got that when he died and my sister got his wedding ring so you wear it um, now all the time every single day i actually want to go to a jewelry shop and be like can i wear this while i shower or because <laughs> i've been taking it off but i don't i don't like taking it off yeah understandably he used to always wear it when he was swimming. He just sounds like just such a lovely person. He was wonderful. I think we can all learn something from him. The way he went about life, just such a positive attitude. That seems like such a revolutionary way to live life. When you're depressed and everything's terrible all the time, you know. He actually did have um, diagnosed clinical depression, which I didn't find out about until after he died. Man, mm. that makes it even more amazing. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. My mom told me she's like, "Do you remember when like Dad was a like didn't go to work for a few months?" And I was like, "No." She's like, "Remember when he made you cheese toasties every day for breakfast?" It's like, "Yes, I remember <laughs> that." Um, yeah, he had to take off um, six months of work because he was severely depressed, and he, like he never showed for a second. I think it must have been like hard on him to keep up the everything's great but I think it's also good because we were children and that would have been a lot for us to try and process you know well yeah it makes me wonder what kind of things he did to cope because I mean it sounded like he was coping pretty successfully unless he hit it better than you could even tell he was always honest with my mom mm. about how he felt because yeah. when I started dating he did say that to me like you know you should never hide things from your partner because they're there to support you and if you don't tell them, then they can't support you. Um, speaking of dating, you said you're with someone new now. Yeah. How's that going? <laughs> Not great. I'm struggling to find people I kind of am on the same wavelength as. I mean, well, yeah, you struggled yeah. socially growing up. I mean, I'm the same way. I, I was always extremely socially awkward and kept to myself. And so dating has always been a struggle. I can imagine it's been the same with you. I would like somebody who just wants to sit in a room and both individually do our own things, but like share a blanket and occasionally like hold hands or point at a thing and be like, hey, look at this. Yeah. And but... those, those people exist. It's just a matter <laughs> of finding them. And like, how do you find people who also don't want to leave the house? Yeah, it's, mm. it's rough. Throughout your dating life, have you been able to share with your partners what you've been going through? I have with with the last person I dated. Um, we were together for four years. Okay. And um, they were with me when my brother died and when my dad got diagnosed and then when he died. Oh, wow. Um, so that was really nice to have them there as a, as a support, but also, like, they, they got it. So we we broke up a few months ago, and that was really hard for me because that was also very sudden. It's like another death. Yeah. It's the death of our relationship. It's also the, the death of all the future that mm. we'd planned together. 
when you look at your own future now, what do you see? Like, I, I almost feel stupid asking this question because you're still struggling. But if you could have anything to look forward to, you know, what would it be? I hope I'll find someone new. And, you know, I know we're meant to, you know, love ourselves and all that shit. But Yeah, it's easier said than done. And I, I find it difficult to support myself emotionally. Mm-hmm. And having someone there makes life a lot easier to deal with. And if I continue to just deal with life like this, then I'm not enjoying it. And it's difficult to look forward to the continuation of something that you're not enjoying. Like I'm watching The Big Bang Theory. Uh-huh. I'm just tied to a chair. And someone's like, hey, aren't you excited? New episodes. Like, <laughs> At the moment, I'm just continuing to exist for my mom because mm-hmm. I know she would find it very difficult on her own. I respect you for being honest about this because it's hard to talk about. I mean, I hope that this podcast is a place where you can be honest and talk about how you really feel, because there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way. I mean, obviously, our community on Peach, we're we're all struggling. I think there's a lot of us who are finding the, the future a very scary, difficult thing to cope with. Exactly. And it's it's hard because you don't want you know, your friends to feel that way. But then when it comes to yourself, it's always different, right? I feel like I can accept a lot of misery for myself. And then if I saw my friend feeling this upset, I would do something about it. But it feels like, no, I'm just, I'm meant to be miserable. I mean, well, what kind of thing would you do for a friend if it was them in your place? Um, One of my, like, we're not even good friends. They're a friend of a friend, but they have seasonal affective disorder. And so I've been going around every week or two and I make little care packages so I bring them like scented candles and I make cookies I'll give them um ready meals for when they don't have the energy to cook we've been I've been trying to like be like oh let's play board games or let's watch a cartoon you like I'll do this for for a friend but when I'm sad I'll just stare at the wall and if someone texts and it's like oh how's your day but like oh yeah it was great how are you are those the kind of things you wish um, people would do for you? I yeah. It's just hard uh, to ask it, I, it's for. It's hard to ask. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's hard being yeah. vulnerable and social anxiety on top of that like just talking to people is hard and then being vulnerable to somebody when I'm just like no they're just going to say like why would I come hang out with you? I hate you and you're stupid. And, well, I wish I lived closer so I could bring you board games and all this stuff. Come and watch cartoons with yes. me. Yes, and just, just say nothing. Didn't you visit Ella recently? Um, Ella is one of our mutual friends that we met online, for those who don't know. I did. How was that? Absolutely. It was really nice. She just showed me around Copenhagen and, and obviously she had to push my wheelchair around the whole time oh it's not just i have the personal anxiety of like am i boring this person am i annoying this person like why would they want to spend time with me and it's also like they're having to do like physical exertion to spend time with me and but i'm sure she didn't the mind, fact that you know <laughs> no well she said she didn't but like it meant a lot that she was willing to do that for me Quite a lot of people will be, like, expecting me to push myself, but I can't actually do that because well, yeah. it's too tiring. And then they'll be like, oh, you're so slow. It's like, you know, it would really help if you just gave me a push. Have you ever sought out communities for other people like you who are in similar situations? No. The only one that has been like recommended was one for christians with my condition and i was like oh no thanks what about like online communities i was really happy to find peach because even though it's not my main issue it's nice to have people where i can be honest and say like i'm having a shit day yeah and they'll be like you know tell me about it yeah or I'll, i'll tell them and they'll actually be empathetic and kind and Receiving kindness is 
uncommon and really, really appreciated. I mean, it's no, sad I, that I, you, you come to expect people to just not give a shit. So when someone shows kindness, it's like, oh my God. Matt has given Dobby a sock. Yes. <laughs> it feels so, so wonderful. And I mean, I think that's a great place to start is places like Peach. I think when it comes to the future, you said there's nothing left, you know, there's not really a lot to enjoy or look forward to. But I find when I met my lowest, you know, talking to you guys that I've met through communities like Peach, even if we're all miserable and nothing's going right, at least I have to hold on to the belief that if I want a future for this person, why not for myself too? Or at least there has to be a future where we can all face together. And the solidarity is, is very helpful. Solidarity, that's the word I was trying to find. It makes you feel less isolated. And because I feel like all of my problems are my own fault, I think, well, I meet these people and they're so lovely. And it's definitely not their fault that they're in this situation. So mm-hmm. maybe it might not entirely be my fault. No, for real. Perspective is everything. I mean, sometimes you're just handed really shitty cards in life and it's not your fault I was gonna say something else but I forgot what it was is there is there anything you wanted to say to listeners anything that you that you feel like you can't say in real life I think something that all of us need to hear even if we don't believe it is that we do have a much greater impact on other people's lives than we realize that like everyone is a positive impact in somebody's life and even though we all have value just as humans for existing like that gives us so much worth like everyone I've met online has been so kind and generous and funny they've just all been such wonderful human beings and none of them have believed it. Like, you're never going to believe nice things that people say. Yeah. Because that's not how it works. But Yeah, if it were that easy, least... then all our problems would be over. <laughs> That'd be great. We'd be, we'd be sword. Yeah. Um, but at least realize that the people that spend time with you do love you. And they do care. And you do make their lives better. And so it would be heckin' well if you kept existing. And I, I really love going back to the, the positive affirmations that you were talking about earlier. I think that's a great way to start trying to practice some of that same love towards yourself. Like, it sounds cheesy as fuck when I say it. I mean, it's true. Like, what you just said about our community, like, I, I can apply the same things right back at you, but, you know, you're never going to believe it until you start practicing it for yourself. I mean, everyone says, like, nice things when I post selfies, and that's, like, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough positivity for me. I get yes. to pretend I'm cute for 10 minutes, and that makes me happy. And you are insanely cute, by the way, so don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I'm just going to, like, blush and squirm in my face <laughs> for five minutes. Yes, mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love the love that you have for your others around you. And I think if there's any purpose to this episode, you know, it's just spreading that love and just spreading the message that everyone is valuable and worthy of of existing, like you said. Yeah, we all intrinsically have value and we don't need to do anything to prove that value. Which is such a hard message yeah. to hear when you feel like you don't deserve to exist yeah especially those of us who are like oh i'm valid if i'm this way or i'm i'm valid if i get an a star on every test it's like no we're just we are people and we have worth and we are all wonderful and deserving of love and kindness exactly and it's like i mean going back to how your dad would just do things to do things you know there didn't have to be any value to them like that that's something that I struggle with as well. And it's, it's the same with the existing, you know, you sometimes existing in and of itself is enough. 
Like, you don't have to be doing anything or proving anything or accomplishing anything. You know, sometimes there's just simple pleasures in existing for existing's sake. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It's very important for people to, to hear. I guess that's a positive note to end on but <laughs> but I really do want people to know that and I want you to know it too because you're pretty rad even if you don't feel like it and that goes for all you guys out there too you're great oh yeah we are fabulous okay all right well this. thank you so much yeah and I'll, I'll talk to you around yeah, yeah. bye bye